This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, loves? Welcome to Self-Care in Real Life, a podcast where we obsess over giving women the tools that they need to choose happiness and create more joyful moments. I am your host, best-selling author and lifestyle blogger, Ty Alexander, and I'm basically your new wellness hype girl, so welcome to the party. (laughs) Before we take a deep dive into today's episode, I want to remind you to be sure that you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you've enjoyed the podcast so far. You can also head over to our website, selfcareirl.com, to sign up for our exclusive membership community, which is filled with gems that I have curated just for you to help you cultivate life-shifting healing experiences. Today, I have a super special treat for you. We hosted our very first live podcast, and I am so very pumped for you to listen in on this one. We kicked off our first live podcast event with trauma therapist and host of the Healing Circle podcast, Kobe Campbell. In front of a live virtual audience, her and I spoke about some of self-care in real life's best podcast topics from how to avoid ghosting someone, how to understand and heal from past trauma, and how to effectively set and maintain our boundaries. For those of you who were able to join in live, you know this baby, (laughs) this was a good one. So good that this will be something you'll listen to back over and over again for all the gems that Kobe had for us. So enough talking from me. Please enjoy Self-Care in Real Life Live, Episode 1, Where the Healing Resides. (laughs) Girl, you know I'm corny. (laughs) Today, my guest is Kobe Campbell. Hello. Uh, (laughs) She is a trauma therapist based in North Carolina. Kobe is also a fellow podcaster. Her and her husband, Kyle, have a podcast called The Healing Circle, which has conversations addressing mental health and relationships before God. Kobe, welcome to Self-Care in Real Life. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. Tell us a little bit about your counseling approach. I know there's different ways to counsel and, and have therapy. Tell us a little bit about what you do in your background? So my counseling approach overall is really integrative. So it's not just about your mental health. It's not just about coping skills, but I like to think of it as like, it's about your soul and how your soul is expressed in the world. Um, I have my degree in Christian counseling, which means that for people who are Christians, identify as Christians in any way that they identify as Christians, I help them integrate understanding of how God meets them in their mental health and how God is a part of that mental health journey. Um, Not all of my clients are believers. So for those of those who are not believers, we just do therapy. Um, But I utilize EMDR, which stands for 
eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It is a form of trauma therapy that kind of uses the brain's natural processes to help people kind of go back to traumatic situations and squeeze out the wisdom that they can apply in the present. And it's my favorite modality, uh, my favorite therapeutic model. But overall, I, my goal is to help people get like the person who's inside that feels like trapped outside. Like that's my overall goal. Got you. Got, and I feel like a lot of us have lots of things and, and, and experiences, especially from my childhood that have been trapped that we've suppressed yep. that we don't even know exist which yep. then seep out into our everyday interactions with other people, right? Yep. Um, when we connected, I was so excited because I thought to myself, oh my God, I get to introduce my audience to an actual therapist <laughs> <laughs> who is black, who is a woman and also specializes in trauma therapy. For yep. two seasons of self-care in real life, we unpacked all sorts of topics, but the ones that our internet family you know, had the most questions about were typically dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. And I have declared to them, y'all, all my friends, I am not your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have their degree in this. <laughs> um, we are just unpacking things together. So I'm thrilled to have someone who is licensed, who has the degrees, um, who can give us um, some insight on those trigger words that we use and shine a light on like what our next steps can be, you know, in this healing journey. So one of my most popular podcasts is titled Ghosting is Not a Form of Communication, even if you have a good reason. Yeah. At the time, <laughs> she said yes. <laughs> At the time, I <laughs> you gotta stop. <laughs> I gotta get my words out, okay. <laughs> um, at the time I recorded the podcast, a long friendship of mine was ending. It has since ended, ended. Like it, it's, it's done, it's done, done. And long story short, um, there was a conflict with this person and I was in turn ghosted. The last message that I sent to the person was read, but was never responded. Mm. And I haven't spoken to them since. And like I said, it's ended, ended. Yeah. But back to our commentary, I feel like <laughs> the first time when we spoke about the term ghosting, which is, again, a super trendy word, I feel like we had this whole moment of boundaries and ghosting, you know, in 2020. Um, when we first spoke, just like the moment we had before, our facial expressions were completely different, <laughs> which led me to believe that maybe we have some opposing points or thoughts to share on ghosting. I think ghosting is super clear, but you tell me what you believe ghosting to be and maybe share some examples of good ghosting, if that's a thing. I don't know what the, the therapy term would be or how ghosting is in a negative light, I guess. Yeah. Woo. I have thoughts on this <laughs> personally and professionally. I think the reason why ghosting feels like such a, it seems so pedestrian. And so like, oh, like they just didn't text you back. And it seems really like lighthearted, but people feel so deeply about it. I think that people feel that way because ghosting is emotional abandonment. It's right. I'm my back on you. I see you, but I'm deciding not to engage with you. 
And I think that that emotional abandonment triggers for many people other moments of abandonment that they may have experienced in their childhood, um, they may have experienced romantically. And at the end of the day, any type of abandonment is communicated to the person who is being abandoned that you are not good enough, right? You are not worth engaging. You are not worth my time. You are not worthy of my energy, which is why I think that ghosting is really toxic in most cases. Um, I think that ghosting can be healthy after a certain amount of time. And what I mean is for someone who may be interacting with a narcissist who feeds off of the interactions of other people, ghosting may not look like I'm just not talking to you anymore, cutting you off. It may look like I can no longer engage with you. And so if I don't respond, know that it's because I'm no longer engaging with you and this decision I've made that's best for myself. So I, to me, it's like polite ghosting. But I, but I just don't, here's where the disconnect is because mm -hmm. I just don't understand why you just can't say that part. Yeah. Like if 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 ghosting is the option that you want, like, well, not even ghosting. If, 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 if the end is near or the, yeah. the end is what you've decided, why, especially if there's a friendship involved or a relationship, mm -hmm. Why can't people just say, I don't want to talk to you no more for whatever, and not, and maybe not even a reason. Yeah. Like, I always think there's a reason. I always think there's a reason. And I think that it depends on the person, to be honest. It's personal. But for the most part, I think people who ghost are people who have never been taught to deal with conflict. And they've never been able to discern the difference of the result of conflicts from their identity. Right? That like, if this ends badly, and I feel bad, then I am bad. So to run away from that feeling that like I am bad because this ended badly, I'm just going to withdraw, right? Like when you think about the brains, the way the brain responds to triggers, there's fight, flight, freeze. I feel like ghosting is the emotional flight. It's, uh, I don't wanna handle this or this brings up a part of me that I'm estranged from. Maybe I don't know how to stand up for myself. So I'm gonna run and just blame it on you. Or maybe I have really uncontrollable rage and I've never let someone see me in that way. And I don't want to let anyone to see me in that way. So I'm just going to dip, you know, and escape the situation. I think that it's not healthy. It's not helpful. <laughs> it's really not. It's not healthy. It's not helpful because it it's a reflection of a lack of interpersonal skills. It is. Mm. And I think that we can defend it as much as we want and be like, well, you know, I had nothing else to say. Well, you could have said I have nothing else to say. Right, right. Aside from the obvious of learning how to deal with conflict and maybe communi communicating better, what would you recommend for some people who may be struggling in that area of like, you know, being able to express themselves during conflict? Like, what are some resources or tools that you could maybe recommend for people? Mm -hmm. I know this is like just very basic and the worst advice from a therapist because it's accessible to everybody. Just be vulnerable. Oh, literally just being able listen. to say like, I want to respond to you right now, but I'm really pissed off and I don't want you to see me that way. So I'm going to take a second to breathe. Or I want you to know that I saw this message and that I'm chewing on the thoughts that I have, but I will come back in a couple of days. Right, being able, like, I think that our culture has kind of built this world where we all want to come off as experts in whatever places we're in, right? So we want to have the perfect answer. We're typing a response and erasing it, and typing another response and erasing it. 
instead of just letting whatever is true be communicated, like, I see this, I don't agree with it. I don't have a good enough reason for why I don't agree with it, but I'll figure it out and I'll get back to you. That's what I say to my husband. I'm like, some of that don't feel right. I don't have a defense at the moment, but when I find out what the words are for my defense, I will come back and we will talk about it. And yeah, being yeah. Able to, it's accessible, but it's just hard and it's costly and nobody really wants to do it unless it makes you look cute, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, I mean, it may sound basic to you, but that is amazing advice. I don't think a lot of us, I think in my in my experience and kind of talking through trauma with people, a lot of the things we're missing is the language. Like we don't really know how to express. Mm. The, and, and even in my own therapy journey, I've learned how to express certain things with different language. That I, instead of saying, well, shit, blah, 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 like, you know, like <laughs> some of the language that, that comes to mind when I'm triggered is like cuss words. Like I'm angry, I'm mad. And so figuring out how to translate that into something that the other person can receive has been one of my biggest goals or challenges in going to therapy. So I thank you for that. I think people don't realize how much language matters. And that that one sentence sets the tone for the rest of it. Because maybe it doesn't have to end. Maybe it just changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, because, but because I've been ghosted, and you kind of abandoned it. And now I'm thinking about the times my dad left and didn't come back or, you know, all those other things. Now I'm like, well, shit, F her. I don't care, <laughs> you know? And so, but, it, but did it, but did it have to be that way? You know what I mean? Like, even in my own situation, I think about if the person had have said somewhat of what you just said, right. We may have been able to salvage the relationship that we had, but because the message is still on red. Yep. What am I supposed to do with that? I can only assume that we done and it's ended. Yeah. So then you go back into, well, should I reach back out? Which is a question for you. So when someone has ghosted you, right? And maybe time has gone by. I'm a person who likes to give grace. I don't really like bad, you know, juju around in my space. So yeah. I have thought about like, you know, should I reach back out and say, let's squash this whatever whatever and then I put you in this box and we're you know at least on speaking terms like what advice would you give me I'm being selfish now (laughs) in that case but but I also know that people just go through this like this isn't you know an experience that I've just dealt with like I know lots of people have been ghosted and maybe want to reach back out OMGZ is Kobe not dropping all of the gems we need today And speaking of gems, Kirk Franklin has a new podcast called Good Words. The podcast welcomes people from every cross section of life seeking inspiration and empowerment through intimate conversations exploring faith, redemption, and the realities of today's world. Kirk invites us to see ourselves in shared moments between him and his guests. So if you don't mind, I want to share a little sneak peek of his latest episode with singer and songwriter, Her. When you look at your abilities and you look back on the fact that you were not formally trained, the fact that you are able to do all that you can and this voice and the writing and the musicianship, like did those things for you ever in your own personal life make you ever go, there's got to be something bigger to be able to give me all of this, like, did your gifts affirm for you that there's gotta be a bigger being 
in the universe for this little bitty girl <laughs> to have, who dad is from Arkansas and mom is from the Philippines, to be blessed with all of this. Did it ever confirm or make you question or make you think about this just this this is not a random accident. This is not just because oh, of just a series of just molecular building blocks. And you know what I'm saying? And you you sound like your own purpose. So, oh. You sound like you're intentional. Oh no. I, I'm I am intentional and sometimes I'm intentional without even realizing it because it it's not me at all. And my parents have made that clear. Like you thank God every single day because this mm. didn't just come out of you. This isn't from us. You know, it's a little bit from wow. my, my father and my mom, but yeah. it's much bigger than us. And I I can't tell you every single day how many times it's been proven in my life. Like, there, you, there's no way on this, on this planet, in this universe, you could tell me that God isn't real because I feel like the epitome of blessed and highly favored a lot. Um, and that's not because of my success. That's because of the way that I have been able to impact people because of something that I, I already love to do. And I think that's the mm -hmm. definition of like doing what you love is something that you already love to do. And then it becomes more, then it becomes a responsibility. Then it becomes so many different things that you can, you can mistake or misconstrue as, as pressure, but really it's a gift and it's, it, you're a vessel, honestly. And it, it's yeah, like, yeah. you can really mis mistake it for pressure. But at the end of the day, uh, so many people would kill to have what it is that I have. And, and the least I can do is show other people that they have it too, because some people don't know. Um, some people think Beautiful. they have to dim their light for others. And time and time again, the, the way that things work out in my life and sometimes don't work out and and when you just let it be and something greater happens, yeah. that's when you know, like, okay, all right, God, I know exactly what that was for. And sometimes yeah. um, having conversations actually with my with my stylist, we have a lot of those kinds of conversations. And one thing I realized the past few years is sometimes when you have to go through something, it's not even for you. It's for somebody else. So all these things in my life, um, I've just tried to take every single moment and just own every single moment because I know it's not just it's not just coming out of a coming out of a hat or just coming from the sky. Yeah. It's it's from God. Have you <laughs> have you almost had a fit not being able to be on stage doing yes. what you do? Like <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even you didn't even have to think about that one, huh? You was like, yes, quick, quick. No, I just somebody asked me, you know, if you could leave one thing in 2020, what would it be? I said, Zoom. I want to be on a real stage <laughs> with people. I want to be able to embrace people and be with the people. And and so, you know, Yo. hopefully that happens soon. Yo. But but you know what? That just, you know, like that doesn't surprise me because you are such a a true artists and true artists, they really connect on a deeper level with people. Mm -hmm. And people don't really know this. Like we miss touching people, yes, right? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? You're you're spending your life curating the language of your soul, and then you put it out there and you want to be able to see how the people react. You 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 want to be able to look in their eyes mm -hmm. and you want to be able to see if they're like saying the words, if they're mumbling exactly. the lyrics, right? There's nothing like that energy too. Um being on Zoom is it's harder to, to connect and being on a, a phone screen, but yeah, I just I just miss the the energy of the stage. Yeah, yeah, man, you know, and I'm quite sure like you, 
is I wish I could find the address of the Zoom company and maybe just pull out that electric plug. I'm tired. I'm kind of getting tired of it, boo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of getting too. tired of it. <laughs> I'm appreciative of it, though. And like I said, um, I really have no space, no room to complain because I've been able to do so much this year, so much more, you know, than I've even done last year, just this year alone. Um Wow. With, with my with my talent and, and my music. So I, I just I'm thankful for Zoom. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just ready for for things to be normal. <laughs> have, have you been writing? I have. Yeah, I've been finishing my album. I'm actually working on a bunch of projects, but I just in the beginning of the year, I feel like was was hard for me to create. So now everything that was inside is like coming out now. And it's just like I'm just. Just pumping them out, so it's been uh -oh. song after song, uh -oh. and yeah, it's coming. Uh oh, uh oh, how much, how much of this climate and just the times have affected your pen? Like, how much of that is in the ink of your soul as you begin to just regurgitate what's been inside of you? Well, you know, it was hard. There was a lot of anxiety. Um, so I, sometimes you got to feel it first and then talk about it or write mm -hmm. about it later. And you have to go through it first. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. going through everything and then with the George Floyd protests and everybody kind of having this big awakening that should have been happened. Um, yes. It, it, yes. It turned into me channeling that and making music. And I wrote a song called I Can't Breathe. Lucky for us, there are new episodes of Good Words with Kirk Franklin every Tuesday, starting February the 9th. You can hear more wellness journeys from some of our favorites, like Chance the Rapper, Pharrell, Kelly Rowland, Glennon Doyle, and more. The show provides a fun and energetic outlet to lift people up and share trials and tribulations that guests have overcome along the way. Be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's hear more from Kobe. I would say do what's most authentic to you. Because for some people, they're genuinely fine not reaching back out. And for other people, the only reason why they're not reaching out is because of what it looks like to other people. And for some people, well, then there's also that. Right? It's like, I want to reach back out to this person, but everyone already knows what happened. Everyone knows and saw how our friendship or relationship disintegrated. And I don't want to look stupid in front of all these people. So I'm not going to reach out because, in, you know, but internally I want to reach out internally. I miss this person. Um, reaching out might look like, I know that you read my last message. I know you haven't responded. That really hurt me. And I'm dealing with, you know, the conflict of really caring about you, but still also being really angry with you. And I would love to process that if you would like to. Because it's not about reaching out and pretending like nothing happened. Because love mm -hmm. is complicated in friendships. I feel like the greatest heartbreak you can experience is in friendship. Okay? The greatest. You know a lot about this. Like, it will have you sick, sick. And many of us don't want to be honest about that because people will be like, girl, that wasn't your friend anyways. Just move on, make a new friend, whatever. But like, there really is like something special about someone who you develop a connection with who wants nothing of you physically, sexually, just likes you as a human. You know, and when you lose that, that's a huge loss. Mm, child, ooh, child. Anyway, 
<laughs> I don't know about y'all, but that set my soul on fire right now. I'm gonna have to go think. I'm gonna write some things down. I get my message together for this girl. <laughs> <laughs> because I will, I will say a, a part of the it just just for me. Mm-hmm. I haven't reached out because I didn't want it to be. To your point, oh, let's move on and nothing happened because it did happen, and yeah. I am mad and I am angry, but I also. I can't just continue to ghost it because I need to process it and it needs to end properly on my end. You know what I mean? Like it ghosting does feel like abandonment and I don't want it to feel like that. Like I just like, if it's going to end, just tell me you don't want to be my friend and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. And even save that message. Yeah, girl, you say a prayer for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to send you the, I'm going to send you the draft. Okay. Yeah. You're going to you're going to proofread it cuz it might have some cuss words in it cuz Shanae know how I get. Highlight backspace. It's going to be a lot of highlighting backspace. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> enough about ghosting. Um for years I've been exploring this idea of being a likable person. Mm. And what that really means. I talk about this in episode seven, some people won't like you and that's okay, which was a triggering, I got lots of, yes, girl, amen, (laughs) which on the surface is cool. Um, For the most part, I don't care if she liked me or not, for the most part, but there's a large part of me that enjoys being validated when someone enjoys me or when someone likes me, you know, like I feel warm and comfort and comforted inside being likable yeah how does because i go back and forth about like why people don't like me i'd be like it's you girl it's not me you you don't you don't like me because of something else (laughs) yep yep but how does trauma affect our relationships or friendships with regards to who we like and dislike Mm. yeah So I went to a trauma intensive for myself and at it, they said something that stuck with me. They said, every day you go to work, you are going to a family reunion. And I think that is true of work. I think that's true of friend groups. I think that's true of any type of system we're a part of. Our very first reference for human beings were our families whether we have one or not, whether they're biological or adopted or whatever it is. And so everywhere we go, the baseline are the people that we grew up with. And everyone we interact with later on in life is a reflection of what we know or what we've experienced from the baseline people that we were raised with, right? So there's some people who may not like you because you remind them of a mother who was mean to them. There's some people who might think she reminds me a lot of my brother and they might even know not they may not even know why they don't like their brother. They may not even have even like developed language for that yet. They just know that I have feelings about this person and something about you reminds me about that person. You might have the same nose, might have the same shape. I, like it can be that specific for people that like I don't feel comfortable around this person not because I don't know them but because I am anticipating that they will be like someone who has hurt me in the past. Mm. listen 
It's Sunday, right? We preaching today. <laughs> Listen, we are preaching today. Now, what now as it as as it relates to like work spaces, mm-hmm. um, even like networking, like what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to be in the world and being liked. Like, how does that like mold our self-reflection? Yeah. Or does it? And 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 how do we move from the onus being on us and not the other person? If mm-hmm. I'm asking the question right. Yeah, you are. Honestly, I feel like it's about doing the work. And I know that sounds so basic, but truly, if we don't understand how our trauma has affected us, well, let me back up and define what trauma is. So trauma is a moment or a series of moments that affect our mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial well-being. And I like- So basically to, everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some people that like, and trauma from like a moment for you and a moment, we could be in the same moment and for you, it might be traumatic. And for me, I don't even remember what it was, right? And so trauma is extremely personal. And that's why we can't look to culture to define our personal trauma because they are not us. They did not experience it as we experienced it. Um, And I say all that to say, because what our trauma we experience tells us who we are, right? We don't have to listen to that, but that's what it'll do, right? If I'm abandoned, someone's mind may begin to think, I am not lovable. I am unlovable, I am unseen, right? Those are these negative core beliefs that come in and kind of infiltrate our mindset. Now we're looking through this lens of I am unlovable, um, I am unseen. And now our response to the world, the world around us is a reflection of this negative core belief, right? So many of us think that we have certain characteristics and personalities, but really our lives are, the, rather the way we show up in our lives are just like eloquently strung together trauma responses. Mm. And if we don't, if we don't do the work of figuring out what our negative core beliefs are, we're gonna think this is our personality, but really this is your constant defense mechanism. And under all of that is like a person who has a personality and who has thoughts and feelings and desires and preferences that are good and holy. But for many of us, if we don't do the work, we are constantly going to be seeing people through the lens of I am unwanted, right? So if someone says, I can't come, I, I just can't make it today. The first thing we're gonna think is, there you go, you're avoiding me, right? And for them, it might be, I'm just busy. I just, I literally just cannot be there for you. And many of us are looking through the world through these like lenses of our trauma responses. And we think that everything is about us. That's what trauma does. Trauma makes us the center of the world and makes our pain the center of the world. And when reality, it's hard for us to see the world clearly, especially our relationships. Now, you said something that I want to back up to. Um, you spoke about negative core values. Mm-hmm. What would be an example of a few negative core values? Like, so, what that look like for us? <laughs> <laughs> asking, asking for me. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I think that I'll share my personal negative core belief. My negative core belief is I am bad. And I find that negative core beliefs are beliefs 
that we, that must be true based on the way that we act in the world, but sometimes feel too vulnerable for us to say out loud. I would never say in a conversation, I am bad. I'm just, I, I am innately a bad person, right? But at a young enough age, my twin sister's up in here, at a young enough age, I was born into a context of comparison because I came in this world with another person. And so con comparison was inevitable. And I was the crazy, rambunctious, wild child, okay? I was I was the child Meg the Stallion before Meg existed. And I'm so serious, I was a wild child. And so it was never about who I was, it was always about who I was in comparison to my sister. And people always said, who's the good one and who's the bad one? Who's the good twin, who's the bad twin? And I always heard that I was the bad twin. Now, how does this affect me as I grow up as an adult, a therapist, a wife, a mother, all that stuff? I naturally, my brain is wired to think that if anything goes wrong, that it's because I have done something wrong. That's how insidious our negative core beliefs can creep into the most mundane of situations. That like, if something went wrong, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, what did I do? Let me walk through everything I did. Did I do something wrong? I'm so sorry right, over apologizing because I must have done something wrong, right? And having to spend, for me, it took me years to figure out what my negative core belief was. And I'm my therapist just sitting and staring at me like, you just have to be real vulnerable, you know? And I was like, well, maybe it's, I'm just not as good as everyone else. And it's like, well, okay, but make it solely about you. If you're not as good as everyone else, what does that say about you? Well, it means that I'm not good. And what does it mean if you're not good? And I'm like, <laughs> like I broke down. And she was like, you have to say it. You have to let it out. And I was like, I am bad. Right? And But seriously, and our negative core beliefs are not things we want to believe about ourselves. They are things we've been taught to believe about ourselves through our traumatic experiences and the environments that we grew up in. Right, so it's not that I'm embracing that like I am bad, but I have to realize that this is how my brain naturally conceptualizes my existence. And now that I know that, I can develop a plan on how to combat that effectively. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it does. My mind is open. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is open. Um, so with so with that, if if I if I'm hearing, if I know that or I believe that trauma exists and I've created these things based on my childhood, how does one begin to recognize 
that negative core, like how would I even begin to unpack my negative core values? Like what are some of the questions that I may be able to ask myself to even begin to, you know, sort through what they look like? Yeah, I think the only way to figure out what your negative core belief is, is if you know what your trauma is. And I think like the, the more everyday, obviously go to therapy, but like the everyday way that I help people figure out what their trauma is, is I ask them, is there a certain situation or type of situation that keeps happening in every season of your life? Hmm. Like, is there a motif that just keeps showing up no matter where you move, your friendship ends the same way? No matter where you live, you know, you always end up in this exact situation because our trauma subconsciously drives us to do things or not do things, right? So the people who are like, girl, I had to cut another friend off. I'm always here like, (laughs) (laughs) I felt like you were saying that in high school too, you know? And and for some people who like to cut people off because that's kind of like what's in my head since we talked about ghosting, it's about getting ahead of the trauma. It's about, I've been abandoned so many times that I'm not gonna let you abandon me. I'm gonna cut you off. And when we don't properly deal with our trauma, we perpetuate the same trauma we're trying to protect ourselves from. I'm gonna throw the computer at you. (laughs) I can't even wave at you. But but I think that is so deep, so good, so true. And I don't think that enough of us, especially who look like us Black women, speak enough about the trauma that we've experienced, the trauma that we haven't been able to process. Like I think about, you know, I'll be candid, even with my dad and, and having drug addiction, you know, as a kid, there were so many things that I wasn't able to process until I got older. Right. And then I had to learn how to process them by myself. Mm. Like, like I can't process that with him because he's not in the same uh, mental space that I'm in. You know what I mean? And so some of my trauma experiences, I've had to reconcile by myself Mm. and and learn how to just be okay with daddy's going to be daddy. And I have to learn, you know what I mean? And and so can we speak a little bit on what unresolved trauma does to a person and maybe how or or just a few tangible things that you can start to do to kind of pull back the band-aids on those things yeah i think unresolved trauma never goes away and we really like are convinced that time will heal like no because i've had clients in their late 60s and you put them in a certain situation and they will throw a tantrum because the things that happened to them when they were six and seven were never resolved, right? And that's why a lot of us are confused at our parents. Because we're like, you are so grown. But why are you- Yeah, you are so grown. You're like, why are you responding like this? You know? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I feel like you're you're in my head because when I speak about my dad, I'd be like, sir, you are almost 70 years old. Why are you like this? Yeah, yep. Yep, yep. And it's so confusing because we're looking at, in moments, this little kid wearing the flesh of an adult. And we can see it, but sometimes we don't have words for it. And we're just like, you just, do you know why you're mad? (laughs) Like, 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 do you know why you're upset? 
Um, what was the original question? I forgot. I'm not gonna lie to y'all. What? <laughs> okay. What are some? What are some tangible um, like tools or resources that anyone at any age? Like, if you had to say to my dad, "Here is what you need to do to unpack some things." What are some of those kind of tangible things you would recommend for a person? I would start with let people see you. Oh my gosh. Let people see you without you having to prepare to be seen. Ooh. And most of us don't know how to do that. Especially most of us, like you said, who look like us. Who, who we are and who our parents were at home were very different than when we stepped up in the church house you know, when we stepped out <laughs> and went somewhere else. And so like we, part of um, the traumatic legacy in some ways that we have to carry is performance. And we do mm. it in relationships and we do it in relationships. And some people don't even know that their types of dysfunctions they're operating in because they're too close to see, right? If I stick my hand super close to my face, I'm just gonna see lines. It's not until I pull it back that I see it's a hand that's connected to an arm, that's connected to a chest, that's connected to a body, and that I can understand the idea that if something's wrong with my hand for long enough, that it can affect my entire body, right? But for many people, they're like, oh no, all I gotta do is like, you know, put some Vaseline on that line and I'll be straight. And it's like, no, honey, that line is connected to a hand and that hand is connected to an arm and that arm is connected to a body. And now your entire body is experiencing this, you know, infection that smart, started really small with a cut on your hand. But if you didn't let someone else see you, then you're going to end up in a place where you're getting sicker than you need to be because you need, we need other people to see us in our dysfunction because their perspective is a part of our healing. Oh my goodness. Listen, ma'am, church today was had. If anybody <laughs> needs to know where we're going at with this, we are officially in church. So I just want to let you know. Um, mm. That's so powerful because I definitely know that I perform Same. just based on the person that I am on the internet. Mm -hmm. And so we recently had a journal challenge um, in our self-care in real life membership. And one of the questions I asked was, you know, who are you? And I was really asking myself, but who are you when you're not performing? So I encourage everyone listening today to think about like what that really means. Like, who are you as a person when you're not performing, when you don't have on the makeup, when you don't have on the fancy slippery earls, when you didn't get all dressed up to go out and shuck and jive for your friends and family? Um, cause that's what I feel like I'd be doing. I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm a jokester. I'd be laughing. I'd be making, you know, but I really had to sit with that and understand and realize who I was and some of the things I didn't like. Yep. I didn't. Some of the things that I wrote, like some of the things I wrote down when I'm still and when I'm not performing, I was like, Ooh, girl, we don't <laughs> have to go back to therapy. We don't have to call somebody. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we were taught to, we were taught to cover up what we didn't like instead of connect with it. Mm. If I don't like it, I would just throw something over it and shove it in the closet, shut the door and let it stay there. But we don't get to have a sense of control over something we're not looking at. So we're Ooh. thinking putting it away and keeping it out of our sight is going to help us feel better, but really it gives it permission to grow. Like there are things that grow in the dark. They're called weeds. <laughs> and me and your sister made the same thing. <laughs> Girl. 
They do. Okay, okay. This this is again. You're my new friend, so don't act like when I text you, and I'll be like, my husband is doing this, and he won't be quiet. <laughs> I will respond. I'll respond to a text, girl. I'll respond. I'll be able to be. <laughs> All right. So let's chat a little bit about boundaries. Another popular episode that we discussed was episode eleven: How to set clear. MFN boundaries. I abbreviated it for the people because I'm trying not to cuss as much, but you know what I mean. Okay. Um, boundaries, I felt like, was a really, really, really trendy word in 2020. Yeah. I don't know how many memes I saw, you know, now, like, what don't fit you, cut it off, blah, 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 blah. all, period, all that. <laughs> like, I think, I think all last year we created boundaries, we flexed them, we destroy them, you know. So can you go over some examples? Because I don't think we talk about this enough. Can we go can we go over examples of healthy boundaries and ones that are unhealthy? And maybe some that instances where they don't exist at all. Yeah. I think healthy boundaries are about protecting and optimizing our abilities to be authentically present with other people. So I think most of the time we think of like culturally, we think of boundaries as I'm cutting you off and this is a punishment because you have not showed up enough. You have not done enough. You have not proven yourself, which I think is why boundaries kind of feels like another code word for like ghosting. It's like, it's like sub ghosting. Right. And that's why people mm -hmm. kind of get triggered by the thought of it. When you think about boundaries, boundaries are meant to increase my capacity to be more of myself. Boundaries are supposed to help me be my most authentic self for longer. Not about cutting you off or punishing you for not showing up, but I may say, and it may result in the exact same action, but the difference is maybe we talked on the phone for two hours. I really enjoyed it, but I realized after we talked on the phone for two hours, I didn't have the capacity to hang out with my husband and my kids, right? Or my capacity was decreased. Healthy boundaries might be, girl, I love talking to you, but I'm realizing if we talk on the phone for a long time, we might need to plan it out on a day where it's the end of the day and the kids are already asleep so that I don't have to worry about being too tired to hang out with them. Unhealthy boundaries might be, you call, I know you're in need, and I just decide not to pick up. And then I communicate to other people, I'm not talking to her because she'd be keeping on the phone, staying on the phone too long. She'd be keeping me on the phone for way too long, and I'm not talking to her. Healthy boundaries are always communicated to the person who you're setting the boundary with. And I feel like a healthy boundary is to communicate to them, this is why I'm doing this. Now, do you always have to explain? Maybe not. Personally, I feel like it's healthy to let the person know my intention is not to abandon you, even if the result is you feel abandoned. Listen, because we also know that impact is greater than intent. Yeah. And so while you may not have intended to hurt my feelings, yep. my the impact is still horrible to me. Yep. But I think even on the flip side, even if I've been in, impacted negatively, if I know what your intent was, I can make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. But when I don't even know, I'm like, well, she just don't never answer the phone. Every time I call, it goes to voicemail. Yep. She being real short, yep. like, yep. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know about y'all. 
It's yeah. so much to take in, Kobe. It's so much. It's so much. It is. And we we often don't want to tell the person directly because maybe I set the boundary with you and I tell you my intentions not to hurt you. It really is to make sure that I can be there for my kids, but you still feel abandoned, right? Now you have two options. You can just be upset and be like, dang, my feelings are really hurt. Or you can be like, dang, my feelings are really hurt. And why do I feel like I need this person in a way that draws them away from their family? How else can I get this need fulfilled? What other places can I lean in? How can I be more self-sufficient, right? It, and these conversations make, I've heard people, clients and myself sometimes say things like, we're just doing too much. You're doing too much. I don't think people know the actual price of authentic connection and they're not willing to pay it. So anything that challenges them and anything that causes them to challenge other people, they just kind of dip out and say, and scene, I just need this to be easy. I'm out. Ooh, I think I call them surface level friendships and I just can't be involved in those. Yeah. They don't, they don't really, they don't offer any value for me. And yeah. so for the person who wants to come in my life and can't offer some form of, of authenticity to me in return for what I give them, it's really hard for me to function in that, in that relationship. Like I, I, I just, I'm like, I, girl, who is you? <laughs> <laughs> I call people. Amoebas, they call them what? Amoebas. Oh, yeah. They take on the shape of whatever, the shape and the color of whatever's around them. Okay, I feel like you answered this, but I want to make it very clear for the people who are listening. How do you enforce boundaries without isolating the people in your life? Mm. I say the beginning of enforcing boundaries well is communicating what you feel as you feel it. So what happens is you might say something that annoys me and I'm like, Dave, I said something that really annoyed me. You don't know that, right? And then four weeks go by and that four week span, you've said four things that annoy me. And then finally I'm like, I'm setting a boundary. You can't talk to me like that no more. Watch your mouth, you know? And, and you're over here like shook because no one ever told you. No one gave you the opportunity to adjust, right? I think in healthy boundaries with people that we love and trust, we give them opportunity to adjust. Like, hey, actually, I would like to talk on the phone, but can we cut it down to 30 minutes? Give them an opportunity to adjust or let them know right after, like, loves talking with you, but I don't know if I can stay on the phone that long. Give them opportunity to adjust. And that is what keeps people's feelings from being hurt because they're not surprised by it. Like, but we want to wait until our anger is up here. And then we're like, and now you got to come over and pick up your stuff. Cause that's the last time you're going to talk to me like that. And they're like, <laughs> you're like, whoa, girl, how? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and I, it makes me think of a good friend of mine who is really clear on her boundaries, right? Like she mm-hmm. has two, three jobs. She's also an influencer. Um, she actually works at Sirius XM. And so when we do talk, she's like, this is the amount of time I have to talk today. I'm going to give you, do you have 10 minutes really quick? Let's talk about this. Like it's almost, and, and, and at first I was kind of caught off guard because I was like, this feels like an agenda. This don't mm-hmm. feel authentic. Yeah. I don't like this. But then I had to realize that as I'm creating and enforcing my own boundaries, I have to be sound enough and aware enough to be able to allow someone to enforce that on me. 
And yeah. oftentimes I think we also are like, I got these boundaries and ain't nobody gonna be able to ever that. But then when, <laughs> when someone gives that back to you, you're like, well, how dare she tell me she can only talk yeah. 10 minutes? Yeah. What kind of friend is that? Yeah, yep, yep. And, and we have to be prepared for people to push our boundaries before they actually do it. Because what happens is we set boundaries, somebody pushes, we feel guilty, and then we betray ourselves. And we, we, we let go of our boundaries. So we, let, we literally teach people, if you push hard enough, I will betray my own values. So we have to be prepared for how to communicate to people. And we think like, oh, well, I felt guilty. Well, there's two types of guilt. There's a guilt that comes from not acting in congruence with your own values. And there's a guilt that comes from anticipating someone else's disappointment. And we have to figure out what guilt am I feeling? Am I anticipating that you're going to be disappointed in me? I have to begin to accept that and begin to accept that you being disappointed in me does not mean I'm any less loved. Or am I feeling guilty because there was a standard I have for my life and I changed that for you? So when that guilt of someone else's disappointment shows up, that's our opportunity to say, hey, guilt, appreciate you being here, but you're not mine. You belong to that person. Go to where you came from. I'm going to continue doing what's best for me. Okay, last question on boundaries, and we're going to move on to um, our last topic. But yes. can you give us, because I'm all about having language to express ourselves, can you give us some language? I know you've said a little bit, but give us some language to use when people overstep our boundaries. Mm, that's good. Something I like to say is, well, something I like to assume, me and my husband have this in our home, we call it API, assume positive intent. Whether it looked malicious or not, I am going to assume positive intent. So I'm gonna start the sentence with, you may not have meant to do this, or I realize you may have not consciously engaged in this, but I set this boundary with you. This is something that's important to me. I would really love if you respected it. I hope that your feelings aren't hurt. And I'd love to hear how you feel about that. Does that bring up anything for you? So I know that for me, like the formula, if I had one was, would be API, communicate how they may have inadvertently or purposely, you know, crossed your boundaries and then reassert what your boundaries are, right? I really appreciate that you did this or did that. And I feel like I had to learn that a lot as a mom, having to say to people like, I realize you may not have meant to do this, but I don't give Levi candy after this amount of time. And I know you probably gave it because he asked for it and he has cute baby eyes, you know, but I just want to let you know in the future, I would really appreciate if you didn't give him yeah, candy after this certain time. Um, and I think the API is so important. Yeah, I was going to say that API part is really important because often when I do communicate like people overstepping my boundaries, it then turns into them getting defensive. So I think asserting that kind of positive intent, like just assuming that part, and then mm -hmm. I can change my language according to that, that kind of alleviates that, I mean, but why would it, you know, all of that, 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 that the kickback that you get when you go to express, you know, your, your, the overstepping of boundaries, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it keeps, it, it keeps the conversation honest because now it's not about, like you said, intent. It's about what actually happened. Happened, It's not right, about, I didn't right. mean to do that. I understand that. And I'm sure you didn't mean to do this, but this is what happened. 
And this is what I'll need you to do in a similar situation in the future. Ooh. I'm exhausted. I was going to say, this is exactly how I feel when I leave therapy. I feel all open, but yet so full. It's uh -huh. such a conflicting, you know, uh, feeling if, of sorts. But this has been just a delightful conversation. Um, I appreciate you so much for sharing so many gems with our audience. I, I know I, I see the chat and they are just, oh, you, you are a doll. I just enjoy you so much. But I want to end... Um, exploring some concepts and some thought starters around grief. Um, mm -hmm. In episode 15, I talk about, um, can you recover from grief? And I'll share my own grieving experience for anyone who's new, who doesn't know, my mother passed away in 2013 mm -hmm. of lymphoma. It was relatively quick. Um, she was diagnosed with cancer in June of 2013. And by April of 2013, she had passed away. Um, so just the emotions that I had to go through, it, it, that whole experience for me was traumatizing, yeah. um, to say the very least. Like, I, I think even traumatizing is the wrong word <laughs> to kind of use um, mm. in that. But in that, one of the things that I learned and I talk about in my book, um, things I wish I knew before my mom died, is that I think that everyone's, dream, everyone's grieving journey is indeed different right? Like I, I think we grieve in really different ways, but I believe that three things inevitably always happen with each person. And that is you decide how you recover, you decide when you recover, and you decide if you recover. Mm. So what I want to ask you, Kobe, is when we think about grief, as vast as it is, how can we start to even perform grief recovery for ourselves? Like, what does that look like? And not even just in death, because I think in 2020, we collectively grieved, right? We grieved being able to go outside. We grieved parties. We grieved family vacations. You know, what does what does recovering from that grief look like for us? Mm. Grief is so interesting because I feel like it's one of the one of like the things in the world that clinical expertise does not supersede personal experience. Like I, I truly believe that like people who've experienced grief have just a wisdom and perspective that cannot be taught from any book or training. And I think that I've just seen that to be true. Um, but to answer your question, I think starting looks like being honest with yourself and knowing when you just need to feel and knowing when you need to push yourself to do and feel. Right, that like, the goal is not that you are consumed by your emotions. The goal is that you feel them. And sometimes it may feel like you're completely consumed, but also learning like, when do I push? Like, when do I, and, and I say that in reference. So May of 2019, um, I had a miscarriage and it was brutal. And I'm sure everyone who's ever lost anyone knows that it, it was brutal and it got to a point where just being honest I, I became afraid of having sex 
was like, I don't want to do it. Because sex now did not just represent intimacy, it represented an opportunity to become pregnant again. And I didn't want to have to be put in a position where I could lose again like that. Right. And so getting to a point where I was like, I have to feel this grief, I have to feel this sadness. And my husband's amazing, never ever pressured me in any way. He was so patient with me in every way. But getting to a place where I had to say, I think I'm ready to try to feel something other than what I'm feeling right now. Like, I'm, I think I'm ready to like experience something that is beyond what my sadness is, and, but doesn't discount it, right? And it's not about like, just get over my sadness, get over what the fear and the anxiety, but like saying, okay, I, this hurts like hell. And it's really disorienting. Pain, if anything, is disorienting. It'll have you confused about everything. And having to say, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to try. I'm ready to try to be intimate. And not because the pain is gone, but because I think that I can also experience really good things while I'm feeling pain, while I'm feeling loss. And allowing myself to feel that and to try. But everyone knows, rather, hopefully everyone knows themselves um, deeply enough to know when to just sit there and feel and when to say, okay, I'm ready to take a step out, even if it's just one step. Mm. So good. So good. It makes me think of one of my favorite quotes. It's from an uh, unknown author, I believe, but it, um, the joy and sorrow run parallel in our lives. Mm. And I think for me, for me, that's been one of the saving graces in my grief because I have been able and I think I'm really good at being able to experience them both and not feeling guilty that I am joyful and yet still sorrow because in reality the pain of my mother not being here you know being snatched from this earth by the almighty God if it may who cares she here in my mind right Um, Um, like of, of course I know you know spiritually believe you know whatever but it still feels bad and so a lot of my grieving recovery looked like knowing and understanding that I could also experience joy and sorrow and not feel guilty or, or feel like I have to experience either. Because what I do, under, what I understand a lot about society is that mm-hmm. it'll also make you believe that you're supposed to be sad forever yeah. or all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, so my mom died, I had a miscarriage, I'm never going to be able to be happy again. Yeah. Yeah. This one experience has overtook my life, my feelings, my whatever. So can we talk a little bit about when we get there, when we get, I call that the dark space, when we get in that dark space and we can't seem to like get out. Mm-hmm. I always say it's just a choice. Mm-hmm. Like I firmly believe that happiness, joy, all of those things are things that we choose. Mm-hmm. But share with me some tangible ways on how to get out of that space. Yeah, risk. I think that on the other side of all risk is the thing that we're longing to experience. And for those of us who have lost and lost again, it feels like, dang, why do I gotta lose more? Like, why do I gotta, why do I gotta jump when I feel like I've been thrown off a cliff time and time again? But taking the risk, like even you know, thinking about for myself, similarly in friendships, experiencing heartbreak in friendship, and then taking the risk to go out and make more friends. Was it comfortable? No. Did it feel safe? No. But was it good? Absolutely. 
you have to be willing to take risks and say, I am so disoriented that I cannot discern the best course of action. And maybe the best course of action is the action that reflects the very antithesis of what I feel. Child, listen. All right. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> you have given us just, just so much, just so much. Um, I want to open it up for questions if there are any. If I have anybody um, in the chat that wants to come on camera and ask a question, let me know. I can unmute you. Um, so I'll yeah. give you guys a few seconds. Otherwise, we can call it a day and say happy Sunday. We 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 definitely, I feel like we unpacked a lot. Mm. So if you guys don't have any question off top, um, I'm okay with it. I'm so done. <laughs> I'm so done. I can't get that after church nap. That's that's that, but that's what this felt like. It very it really did feel like I've I've poured into, I poured out, I felt. And so again, um, Kobe, thank you so much for thank just you. being a light and just the the knowledge that you're sitting on is just <sighs> okay. Wait, sorry, we have a question. My question is: <laughs> this is from Sharon. <laughs> question from Sharon. My question is. Do you always have to work through trauma with the source of your trauma, i.e. the parents, even if the source is in the same mental space as you? If not, do you proceed with dealing with the trauma alone? Yeah. I think I talked about it a little bit, just about, again, my, for context, my father as a child was a drug addict. Um, he got clean, went to rehab, and all was better in black people land <laughs> yes <laughs> like yes and I, I have to say that very clear all was better in black people land except for in my mind where i'm totally traumatized and like what the hell just happened yes. and we're just gonna act like it, nothing happened and we're good right uh -huh. um but then it comes back up again when my mom died and now we're back to you know abusing and, and you know, using drugs and things like that and so mm -hmm. a little bit of my therapy to Kobe's point was recognizing what the trauma was. So I had to go all the way back till when I was six and seven yeah. and recall exact moments yeah. that were traumatizing to me or exact moments that I, like, like for me, and I think a therapist, a, a, my previous therapist said this to me, a lot of times trauma can be the first memory. And for me, it was. Yep. Like my first memories are when I was six when I'm in the back of my car, in the back of the car, and my dad is in the front doing drugs with his friends. Like that's the first memories that I have about childhood. Mm -hmm. Then my brother came, which is also traumatizing to me. <laughs> because I was like, why yeah. is he here? We were fine by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I had to, for me, it was going back to that, um, to those places of trauma. Mm -hmm. And because I've already been doing the work to Kobe's point, I was able to understand that this work that I need to do to process this trauma can't be with the source because the source hasn't dealt with his trauma. <laughs> like it's just, it's just not, it's just not even possible. I also had to resolve and understand that that just might be always the case until my father leaves this earth. Like mm -hmm. I might not get the opportunity to be like, dad, I was really hurt at six. Cause he's gonna, I, I get to that today, right? And he's gonna say, what are you talking about? I went to rehab, everything's fine. We're, yeah. we're good. Yep, 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 yep. 
And so do you have anything to add to like what I just said? (laughs) I agree with it all. And yeah, so the thing I would add is what makes a moment traumatic is what it creates in us. So you don't need the person there because it's not about the person. It's about what their actions created in you, which is why trauma is so personalized, that there are things that could be said to me and my sister, but it created something in me that it did not create in her. So I'm traumatized from that situation, but she's not. So trauma, and that's what makes it hard, it is always a personal journey. It's a personal journey that addresses the ways that other people have created things in us that we either hold on to or discard. And that's so true because I'll, I'll share what it created in me was distrust, distrust for men. Mm. And so from that day forward, I ain't trust no man, old, young. I didn't even trust my brother. Mm. Like I didn't trust any boy, anybody who was a man. I thought they were out to get me. Wow. Like, how would, why would you ever do that? And so, and because of that, because it was my, my, the, the man figure in my life, my thought process is, well, if, shit, if he going to do that, the rest of y'all are bound to do this. Yep. Like <laughs> if the, if the person who has been in, who has been deemed in charge of me as a kid, why am I to believe the guy at the store is trustful? Why am I to believe my first boyfriend is trustful? Why am I to believe that my husband is trustful? And so even at 44, I'm still unpacking my issues with trust, which directly stem that very first moment Mm -hmm. where I was betrayed. Yeah. Where I, or or, or I felt like I was betrayed. Like I felt, because even in that moment, I feel like, oh my God, like I'm a six-year-old. Why would you do this in front of me? Like that, like why? Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's, that's the logical 44-year-old brain. But I always go back to that moment and that has literally shaped each and every moment I've had with a man. Yep. 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 Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us today. Um, (laughs) I am full. I am lifted. Um, Y'all got some free therapy today. So y'all make sure (laughs) y'all go go follow Kobe Campbell. Make sure you listen to her podcast, The Healing Circle with her her husband, Kyle. Um, It has been a delight. Again, I I can't express how amazing today has been, but thank you so much. Thank you, Ty. I love being here. Yes, yes. All right, ladies, have a good one. This is the part where you ain't got to go home. But you (laughs) got to push the button. You got to push the button to leave. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye, love. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so incredibly grateful for our community. Thank you for leaning into these hard conversations with me. And a special thanks to those of you who are faithfully listening and supporting the podcast. I really appreciate you. I hope that you enjoyed and loved this episode. If you did, please do me a favor and submit your review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to me today. Also, I kind of think you like me. Like we go together or something. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new episodes each and every Sunday. 
And I want to encourage you to share this episode on IG stories, Twitter, Facebook, just do your girl a favor and share it so that we can keep the conversation going. And when you do share it, make sure you tag me. I am at Ty Alexander and at Self-Care IRL. Again, thank you so much for listening to me today. And until next time, toodles.